0: that Thou, Christ, art all that I want, more than all in Thee I find. He is a perfect and complete Savior unto the uttermost, and all those that come unto God by Him. Amen. It's a glorious Gospel. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. I want to talk about that Gospel tonight. Thank you, Jesus. First Corinthians chapter two. We're reading from the Living Bible tonight. That's the King James. Amen. 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 First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit, And of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Tonight I want to preach on the cross, the heavenly pattern of ministry. Father, we ask You tonight that Your Word, Lord, would have free course. We pray tonight that the Lord Jesus Christ, in His glory and majesty... Would be exalted and made manifest through the preaching of thy word. Lord, we pray tonight, Lord, for your namesake, that your church would be equipped, Lord, edified, that we would be filled, Lord, with thy fullness. Lord, that you would anoint us with fresh oil, that you would grant us the mind of Christ, Lord. We pray that you would work within us tonight, Lord, through thy word, Lord, by thy spirit, that which is pleasing. In thy holy sight, we ask it tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. The cross, God's heavenly pattern of ministry. You know, it says in the book of Peter, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. I believe that the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is the defining and eternal pattern of all ministry, which you and I are called as evangelists to emulate. And His great work of glorifying His Father and redeeming mankind was secured through His sacrificial death upon the cross. When the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized there at the River Jordan, when He came up out of that water, when He went there into that wilderness, His face was set as Flint to go under that cross to do the will of His Father. He said it was written in the volume of the book that He had come to do the will of His Father. And from the moment He was baptized, He was fixed to go to that cross and all of redemption, Pentecost, all the blessings of God are all a fruit of what took place there upon that cross. The doctrine of the cross is central to Christianity. And if you and I are going to be faithful and true witnesses under the Lord Jesus Christ, then our lives and our ministry will bear the marks of that cross. And tonight, I propose to us that it is an absolute that our gospel and our philosophy of ministry are inseparably linked and governed. By our interpretation of that cross. Much of the heresy that we see today is from a false and a wrong, humanistic, selfish interpretation of the cross. And whenever you interpret that cross humanistically, there is going to come forth a perversion which is no gospel at all. Only the pure, only the true, only the apostolic gospel of the cross can deliver man and meet the needs of this hour. And you and I must be sure that we are preaching that gospel. You know, the common unconscious view of the cross by most in this hour is basically this that Jesus paid it all so we don't have to do anything at all. That's what most people really believe. I was speaking to a relative of mine about going out and preaching at the Illusions Club there in Woodville. It had come out in the newspaper that one of the biggest drug rings was being run out of that place. Wicked, violent, evil men. But she somehow thought that I was tempting God by fulfilling the great Commission. She somehow thought that Jesus had died for us, that now because of what He had done, He lived such a life as He did. He hazarded His life. But all of that, the apostles, all of that is really so we don't have to live in such a way as that. It's unconscious. People really don't believe it. But in essence, that's what they think that we don't have to live like that. But Jesus died, and when He called His disciples to eat that bread and drink that wine that night, He was inviting them to come and to participate in His very ministry. And when you and I were redeemed, we were invited by the Lord Jesus Christ to eat His flesh, to drink His blood, to enter into that very ministry. You read that book of Acts. Those men full of His Spirit, they hazarded their lives for this Gospel. You talk to people today, they think that Jesus died, that Jesus fulfilled the law for us, that now we don't have to obey the law of God. Jesus lived holy, and now we don't have to live holy. Oh, no, sir. Jesus didn't die to make holiness unnecessary. Jesus died to make holiness possible. That's the reason. That's the purpose of the cross. To bring you and I into union with Him that we can participate in His glorious ministry. You hear people today, you see signs in the front of churches, little spiritual slogans, good clichés, make a good bumper sticker, but they're unbiblical. You see them. They say, Jesus died so that you can live. No, sir. Jesus didn't die so that we could live. Jesus died so that we could die and He could live His life through us. It's a subtle perversion. But this is not the way that we look at and interpret the cross. That's why we have in this hour, people believe in Romans 7 is a Christian experience. It's people that have never entered in to the reality of crucifixion with Christ. Yes, He died for me, but I also died with Him. And it's a reality that is to be manifest within our life. One man told me, he said, Jesus, just want your sin." Oh, it sounds so good. We've got to beware of all of these super spiritual clichés. Yes, He wants our sins, church. But He wants more than our sins. He wants our body. He wants us to present it unto Him. That He can live the same life that He lived 2,000 years ago through His church in this hour. That was the purpose of the cross. That you and I, yes we could be forgiven, praise God, but that we could be cleansed, restored under fellowship with God, filled with His Spirit, and sent forth into the world to glorify the Father through obedience unto the Word of God. And I want to place before us tonight what I believe to be the essence and the meaning of the cross as God's heavenly pattern for ministry. And may God grant me utterance to tell it as wonderful as I've seen it. I think that's the frustration of the preacher. Oh, when you see it, it's so beautiful. It's so glorious. And you just think, I'll never be able to communicate it as good as I've seen it. Oh, but may God help me tonight. May God help us tonight to see the cross through the eyes of God. Now, when we speak of the cross in regards to ministry, We're not referring merely to the cruel wooden instrument of Roman execution, but rather an all-governing spiritual principle. It is a way, a posture of heart, an ultimate perspective, a divine standard of appraisal. It is an eternal, all-encompassing philosophy of life and ministry, which we must see, embrace, and refuse to be moved from if we are going to be successful in our evangelistic labors. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What is the cross? In this hour, it's been turned into some kind of a piece of jewelry that people hang around their neck. Sometimes I want to tell people that they ought to take it off their neck and swallow it and let it get down in their heart. It's become something now to decorate the flesh instead of that which ought to be the end of the flesh. But when it was changed and perverted from a thing, an instrument of death, into a thing of beauty, it lost its power. Paul said we don't preach with the wisdom of men's words lest we make the cross of Christ of none of. If we take away from it in any way, if we add unto it in any way, any perversion of the least degree removes it of its life-giving power. What is the cross tonight? The cross is synonymous with the will of God. The cross is the the principle of the cross is a heavenly disposition of spirit that is above all else jealous for God's glory and honor. It is a spiritual forehead that is purposed to be faithful to the heavenly pattern and refuses to allow the world to turn its plow. It will expose and ruthlessly judge everything that would infringe upon the rights and the glory of God in creation. The cross is an all-governing, all-encompassing divine way and method that gives meticulous attention to the details of Of the heavenly pattern. In a statement, the cross is obedience unto the truth of God as defined by that Word for the glory of God and the spiritual well-being of others, regardless of the cost and regardless of the natural outcome. One man of God, he said, the cross is not some physical infirmity or mental anguish. These things are common to all men. The cross is a pathway that is deliberately chosen. It is a path of reproach and humiliation. The cross symbolizes the shame, the persecution, and abuse which the world heaped upon the Son of God. And the world will heap on all who who choose this same path of obedience to God. Anyone can avoid the cross simply by being conformed to the world and its way. And we need to know tonight that the cross does not primarily speak of suffering. The cross speaks of obedience, unto the will of God Jesus just set his, his heart to obey his father and he was obedient unto the truth even unto death his obedience and faithfulness his ministry unto his father led him unto that cross and out of that ministry came redemption for you and I from a child it is said when he was found there in the temple of Mary and Joseph he said I must Be about my father's business. It governed him. Throughout his entire life, the Bible says that he was crucified from the foundations of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ, he was born crucified, so to speak. He lived under the shadow of the cross from his very birth. It ruled him and it governed him. This spiritual principle of bringing glory unto his Father, of giving himself for the spiritual well-being of others, regardless. Of what it cost Him. He said, I can do nothing but what I see my Father do. I speak nothing but what I hear my Father speak. He was totally and perfectly subject unto His Father. And because of that, came forth an atonement for all of mankind. We need to ask ourselves tonight, what is our view of the cross? How do we interpret what took place on the cross? Do we look at it merely in regards of what it means for our personal redemption? Or do we see the cross through the eyes of God? What it means unto the Father? How it relates unto God's eternal purpose? The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, Unto Him be glory By Christ Jesus in the church throughout all ages, world without Him. That's the eternal purpose of all things. Bringing glory unto the Father. And that was secured there at the cross. And I would propose to us tonight that the death of Jesus upon the cross was more of an offering unto His Father than it was a sacrifice for mankind. Most people would think that's a blasphemous statement. But when He gave Himself upon that cross, it was more of an offering, a free will offering unto the Father. You read in the book of Leviticus, it speaks about the different offerings. We have the sin offering. We have the peace offering. And we have the burnt offering. And that burnt offering, it was to be made voluntarily of one's free will. And it was just to be a sweet savor unto God. No sin involved. And that cross primarily was a burnt offering given up. Unto the Father by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ hath loved us, and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. It was unto the Father
1: primarily.
0: You hear all of these slogans today. You know, God is in the people. It's all about souls. Don't get me wrong tonight. We must have a burden for souls. It's not God's will that any would perish, But unless this is established within our heart, we will never truly have a divine and godly burden within our lives. I believe that we need to be concerned about the souls of men. But nothing can be exalted above the glory and the honor of God. Not ministry, not souls, not family, nothing. If you and I are going to be of any blessing under this world, That principle has got to be established within our lives. The most important characteristic and feature of an evangelist is not a love for souls, but a love for God Himself. And the professing church in America, it's sad to say, but it's been leavened by humanism. Although the language is the same the object of preeminence has changed from God to man and it's produced an idolatrous mystery of iniquity. We read about that abomination of desolation in which man will set himself up in the temple claiming to be God. I'm telling you this user friendly abomination is the seed of that abomination of desolation. It's a man pleasing, man centered, man governed spirit that's and it's from the pit of hell. And all those that go that way, they're being prepared to bow down to that abomination of desolation. That's what we're coming to in this land. But you and I, we must arise and repair the breach and restore the ancient landmark, the apostolic preaching of the cross of Christ. We look at the Apostle Paul's message. He said, I'm determined to know nothing save Christ and Him crucified. You think about that. Christ crucified. That was His message. Christ speaks of the Messiah, the Savior, who alone is sufficient to meet our every need as the Holy Ghost spoke to us tonight. He is sufficient. If we were created by God, which we are, then every need that we have besides oxygen and food is spiritual and can only be met by God. It's not Jesus plus psychology. It's not Jesus plus Ritalin. It's Christ and Christ alone and we need to return back under the true and the pure gospel believing that jesus is the answer if this world had needed a politician god could have found one if the world needed an economist god could have raised up one of them if the world needed some kind of an entertainer or some kind of a sports star God could have put His hand on one of those as well. But God is all wisdom. And when He assessed the problem of mankind, He sent the perfect answer, which was the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and Christ alone is the answer to all things. He alone is sufficient. This generation professes the inerrancy of the Scripture. Just barely, though. But denies the sufficiency
1: of the Scripture.
0: This Gospel is sufficient. Paul said the Gospel is the power of God. Under salvation. We don't have to add anything to it. We just need to stand and preach it as it is. It's sufficient for every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It's sufficient for every age and every culture. God is eternal. They say we've got to adapt the message to reach the culture. But the, they've missed the primary purpose of the church itself. The church doesn't exist. To reach men. The church exists to manifest Christ. That's why we're here. And if our primary desire and aim is to reach men, then there's no way we're going to represent God. For us to love men is to please God. But if we set our hearts to please men, we're going to misrepresent God every time. Christ is sufficient. You know, I heard a good riddle. And the riddle goes like this. Rich people need it. Poor people have it. It's more wicked than the devil. And if you eat it, you'll die. Some of you may have heard that. And another aspect of that riddle is this. It's more powerful than
1: God. Well, everybody would say nothing
0: is more powerful than God. And to think anything else would be utter blasphemy. But I wonder if people really believe
1: that in this hour.
0: They say that nothing is more powerful than God. But in reality, this generation believes that there are things more powerful than God. Because they say that not even God can deliver
1: a man from sin. Sin
0: is the most powerful thing according to this generation. They don't think the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to deliver men from sin. They think that death somehow delivers men from sin. Just all of a sudden they become holy when they die. They don't realize it. It's unconscious. But they really don't believe that Christ is sufficient. But the Bible says that God is all wisdom. He's all love. And He's all power. You think about that. That's who God is. But this modern church arrogantly believes that they are wiser in their ways, more effective with their gimmicks, and actually more loving than God Himself. You think about that. The Bible says that Christ is manifest through the preaching of the Gospel. If we are preaching according to the Word of God, then Christ is being manifest. And this religious world joins hands with the world and they say that's unwise, that's unsuccessful, and that's unloving. They're not saying that to us. They're saying that to Christ. And it is nothing but Antichrist. This religious hypocritical, humanistic, God-rejecting generation actually believes that they are wiser than God, their gimmicks are more powerful than God, and they think that they are more concerned about the souls of men than God Himself. And when we speak about Christ crucified, we speak about the way of the cross or obedience to the will of God. Simply put, to preach Christ and Him crucified is to preach Him as Savior and Lord. And most people would say that they believe. They'll say, Jesus is my Savior. And Jesus is Lord. But in their practice, they do not really believe that. They don't believe He's the answer to everything. And they don't really believe that they've got to submit to His Word. In all things. That's all Paul was saying. We're preaching Christ as Savior and Lord. That is what it is to preach Christ and Christ crucified. But this generation disregards His words and His ways. And they spend and give more money and time to the Republican Party than the gospel. We find out where their hope and their trust really is. America claims to be a Christian nation. But I would propose tonight that if tonight America was transformed into a theocracy, that means Jesus became president of America and His laws were enacted. Tomorrow morning, most professing Christians would think they woke up in communist China. They would see His laws and His requirements as grievous. It's because He's not really their Lord. We live in a so-called believing, unbelieving generation. But the Apostle Paul, he said, I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight, I want to look at just a few marks of those who understand and embrace the way of the cross. Paul said the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, foolishness. But under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The number one mark is those that go the way of the cross. They walk by faith and not by sight. The charge of the modern pragmatists is that apostolic preaching is outdated and ineffective. Basically what they're saying is is that preaching is unsuccessful. But that all depends upon your definition of success. The Bible says that those that think that godliness is gain, they're destitute of the truth. And they've got a corrupt mind. We don't need to look for any kind of natural boostings or any kind of signs to validate the method of God. It's wisdom because all wisdom said to do it. And it's powerful because He blesses it. I'd like to ask them one question. If it was successful, would you do it? And surely they would because Jesus is not their Lord. Results and Man is. That's what they're after. But Jesus said, how can ye believe ye who receive honor from one another and not honor that comes from God? Preaching is extremely successful. The Bible defines success. Success can be defined in one word. That is obedience. And Jesus said, if you love Me, you'll obey Me. And I'll come to you, reveal Myself to you, and through you. Titus said through the preaching of the Gospel, Christ is manifest. If Jesus comes to our meeting, then I could say it's been a successful meeting. But if the world rejects it, that is not a token of our impotence. But that is a sign of their rejection and hatred of God. That's all that is. The answer that we give is more than sufficient. They just don't want the cost of embracing it. That's where the problem is. You hear these religious people. They say, you seem angry and judgmental and divisive. All you say is the Bible says, the Bible says, You just reprove everyone and you are destroying everything that we've given ourselves to accomplish here on this campus. You know, if you think about that, that's really a perfect description of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that He came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, more than a soul was lost in the Garden of Eden. God's vessel, the church, was lost. Jesus, yes, He came to redeem mankind individually. But when we interpret the cross rightly, He came for a vessel for His Father. A manifestation of Himself in the earth. That's what He really came to seek and to save was a church, a people, a vessel. And He did that through judgment, Division and bearing witness unto the truth. That's what it says. If you look at the biblical Jesus, Jesus said in John 9 and 39, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see might not see, and they which see might be made blind. That's why Jesus came. He said for judgment. It says in 1 John 3 and 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that He might destroy the works of the devil. He has come to destroy some things. It says in Matthew 10 and 34, I come not to send peace, but a sword. The Lord Jesus Christ comes to bring division. And He said in John 18 and 37, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. I think we ought to let Jesus define what He came to do. This Word will tell you that Jesus came to have lunch with sinners and to tell them stories so that they could better balance their checkbook and enjoy life. Oh no, my friend. Jesus Christ came into this world to do the will of His Father to confront men in their sin, to demand that they would lay down their weapons of rebellion and surrender unto the Father. That's why He came into this world. He came to do the will of His Father. To the Jews of the religious, which is for the most part what you and I are facing on that campus, They require a sign. And to them, the Bible says, the preaching of the cross is a stumbling block. That's when people say, where's your fruit? How many people have you prayed with? All of these things, they're looking for some kind of natural sign to validate the preaching of the Gospel. They want numbers. They want positive feelings. They want mystical experiences, material prosperity, shallow emotionalism, and acceptance
1: by the world.
0: They've got to have a sign. They've got to have something to reinforce that what they're doing is right because they don't walk by faith, but by sight. But the Christian wants one thing, and that is to please the Father. When they ask where my fruit is, I'll tell them, We're bearing biblical fruit. The same fruit that Christ brought forth. They're rejecting us. They're laughing us to scorn. They're hating us. And they're rejecting us. That's what Jesus said would happen. And really, if you look through the Bible, fruit is nowhere likened unto souls. The fruit the Bible speaks about is the fruit of the Spirit, which is a manifestation of the character and the nature of Christ. And Jesus said, if you abide in Me and I abide in you, He said that you will bring forth fruit, and the world is going to hate you for it, not think that you're doing everybody a service. We need to understand tonight that success is defined by obedience. Paul said, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. To some we're a savor of death. To some we're a savor of life. But as long as we're a savor of Christ under the Father, God calls it successful ministry. The Bible says to the Greeks or the intellectuals, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man according to his natural reason. According to his apostate epistemology. There's something that seems to be right and prudent. But the Bible says the end of that way is death. But conversely to that, there's a way that seems wrong to the flesh and the natural man. But the end of that way is life. We go out there and preach on the campus. Sometimes it looks awful and terrible. All manner of mockery and blasphemy. It's an awful and a terrible sight to behold. And many people stumble over it. You know, I used to desire to be a medical doctor. And I would go into the operating room with my father and some other doctors. And I'll never forget one time I walked in that operating room They had a woman laid out there on that operating table. Had her painted in that orange iodine, she looked almost inhuman. And as I sat there in that operating room and watched these men as they began to go to work
1: on their patient,
0: they pulled out a knife and they ripped her open from her neck down to her belly. They pulled out tongs and tore her apart these men had cauterizers and they were burning that flesh. You could smell the stench of it there in that room, keeping it from bleeding. And then they pulled out saws and drills. I'm telling you, they looked like glorified carpenters. Bone chips going everywhere. And I sat there in my naivete in disbelief. Now, you know, I could have said, Oh, you're hurting this woman. You're being so cruel and unloving. Look at what you're doing. This doesn't look like it's working at all. Those men had been through years of medical school. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were laying the axe to the root. They were concerned about that woman, but they had to get through a lot of blood to get to the problem. And I would have been an arrogant young man to stand up and say that's unsuccessful and that's unloving and that's unwise. But those that don't have a spiritual mind, those that don't understand the ways of God, when they behold true evangelism, they can't bear it. They can't stomach the sight of blood. Oh, my friend, we've got to have faith in God that He knows what He's doing. It is effectual. It is working. But the carnal mind is enmity against God and it cannot recognize nor receive the things of God. We need to understand tonight, church, that that which governs this universe, the greatest power in all the world, not a nuclear bomb. It's not some great military. You know what rules the universe tonight? A lamb that was slain sits
1: upon the throne of the universe.
0: You think about that. That's God's lamb. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon
1: His shoulder.
0: That speaks about
1: that cross.
0: When Jesus bore that cross, it was a a sign of His submission unto the Father. And as He did that, submitting Himself perfectly unto heaven, all hell was subject unto Him. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The Bible says... To the world, it is foolishness. But to us that are saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God. And we have got to trust and understand the power of the cross. When we just set our hearts give ourselves just to obey God, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it costs, not looking at anything in the natural, but just being obedient unto God. When we do that, then all heaven arises and stands behind us. That is the power of the Gospel. We've been reading about Mordecai there in that book of Esther. You think about Haman. He's a type of that devil. Mordecai a type of that Christ. Of Christ. Christ. Haman is there. Everybody's bowing unto him except for one man. That one man was Mordecai. He refused to bow. Just one man. What's he doing? Seems so insignificant. Haman's got everything else except for this one man that will not bow unto him. And Haman came up with a plan to do away with him. Looked like the end of Mordecai. He built some gallows. Called Haman's gallows and Mordecai refused to compromise. He refused to bow. And I'm here to tell you tonight that Haman was the one that died on Haman's gallows, not Mordecai. Those three Hebrew children that stood for God when that fire was was heated up for them. It wasn't those Hebrew children that died in that fire. It was those that tried to throw it in there. What I'm trying to say tonight is that that is the power of the cross when we will just stand, when we'll not bow, when we'll not compromise. When we'll just believe God. When all the world is against us. Though we're being slaved, we stand and we trust in God. And though we are crucified, then God has a platform for a resurrection. But most of the time, we don't make it that far. We'll bend. We'll bow. We'll compromise. We'll be offended. But if we'll just stand and believe and all the words of this life no matter what it looks like that's when God gets involved and when God comes down that's when ministry becomes effective but He'll bless nothing other than this principle of the cross the world they may reject it but they cannot deny it that centurion when he stood foot of the cross they'd done everything they could do to him pulled out his beard stabbed Him in the side, stripped Him, put Him up there upon their cross, that centurion, He said, Surely, this is the Son
1: of God.
0: There is power
1: in standing.
0: There is power in trusting in God. That is the power of this Gospel when we are willing to seal our testimony with
1: our blood. That
0: is the power and the strength they said of Paul that he watched them stoning Stephen. And it says that Stephen dealt with those men. He preached to them. And it says that they rushed on him and stoned him with stones. And it says that he lifted up his hands. His face shone as an angel as he said, lay not this sin to their charge. When Jesus appeared to Paul, He said, it's hard for you to kick
1: against the bricks.
0: I believe that part of that was the testimony He saw in Stephen who was willing to lay down his life for what he believed. Who loved those that persecuted him. I'm telling you, that's supernatural. That is a testimony unto this world when it doesn't look like it's working. When everything in the natural is against you. And you stand and you believe when they hate you. And they spit on you. And and they beat you. And you just tell them that you love them. Oh, my friend, I believe when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they know not. What they they do. What are you going to do with such a man as that? I heard the communists use fear. The Muslims use terror. But we as Christians, we use the love of God. I heard one man, he said they need to see our peace. And they need to see our joy. And they need to see our love. Amen. But in the context of being rejected and persecuted for standing for that which is right. That is the power. And the glory of the cross, secondly, those who go this way, they refuse to defile God's altar with human hands or soothing
1: trappings.
0: It says in Exodus, "If thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of huge stone. for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted. that altar is the cross." And Paul said the enticing wisdoms of man's words would make the cross of none effect. We think tonight, what is the effect of the cross? The effect of the cross is that it will slay and kill everything that it touches. That is what the cross will do. I've read that track, God Loves You, and has a wonderful plan for your life. I thought about writing my own track calling it God hates you
1: and has a terrible plan for your life.
0: That's the truth. The Bible says God hates
1: all workers of iniquity. And He has an awful and a terrible plan for that old criminal of the flesh.
0: He wants to kill it
1: and execute it. But the end
0: thereof is glorious liberty and freedom. That is the effect of the cross. Paul said, I marvel you're so soon removed from Him that called you to the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. Anything less than the cross of Christ is not a gospel. These churches today inviting men in, taking polls petting them, pampering them, giving them some kind of an enrichment as they take the path of life. They're not doing anything for those people. They say they love those people. That's a bunch of nonsense because their message can do absolutely nothing for them. It's a band-aid. It's not a remedy. Only the Gospel can deliver men. Only the Gospel can meet the need of mankind. And the cross alone will slay this monster of iniquity and bring the kingdom of God into a man's life. But you and I tonight, we don't need to forget the work and the effect of the cross in our own life. I've learned through evangelism, I've learned just in the brief time that I've walked with God that everything that we experience is for one of two reasons or maybe for both. Number one, to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ or to enlarge the vessel for a greater
1: manifestation of Christ.
0: Whatever we're going through, whatever we face, God has ordained and allowed it for the preparation and the fashioning of the vessel. Brother Britt preached on Pentecost last night. We need Pentecost. But
1: Pentecost is the answer to the cross. It's only those
0: that go God's way that will receive God's blessing. That's what God is looking for tonight. He needs a vessel. He needs someone that He can trust. And He can only trust those who take the way of the cross. That's what Abraham had to learn. That's where he was brought to. To a place where he had to deny his affection. That was his son. That God told him to sacrifice. He had to deny his intellect. It did not make sense what God was calling him to do, it didn't look effective. It didn't look wise. He had to deny His own will, His own desires, but He came to a place where He was no longer committed to the will of God, but to the person of God. And He said basically unto God, though you slay me, I'm going to trust you. And when He stood atop Moriah, God said, now I know that I can trust you because you have obeyed my voice. And that
1: is the essence of the cross. Obedience unto God. And when we do that, God works wonderful and marvelous things in our life.
0: I read a testimony of a French preacher named Henry Sousa. Godly man in his community. One day he received a knock at his door. A woman came and brought a baby there. He said, Henry Sousa, this is the fruit of your sin and left that baby there with that man and went and told everyone in the
1: community that he was an adulterer. It's a man of God. He went to God and said, God, what would You have me to do about this? He said, the Spirit of God spoke to him.
0: He said, You do what I did. You suffer for the sins of others.' Nature of the cross. He had died to His reputation. You see, God is doing something in us And we don't need to disregard that which is taking place. Finally, the last mark of the cross is those that go this way, they're not discouraged or offended by the response
1: of the world.
0: I believe this is one of the main reasons why people forsake the way of the cross. You know, Paul said, and I brethren, if I yet preach circumcision... Why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased? Contrary to popular belief, the offense of the cross has not ceased. I believe the cross is doing the will of God. And the offense of the cross is the fallout for taking such a path. And most people, they can't stomach it. It is real. It is tangible. When you set your heart, to do the will of God, to set things in order according to the heavenly pattern, all hell is going to come against you. And we must understand this principle right here. The cross speaks of suffering for being right
1: rather than wrong.
0: When Job's friends came to him, they said, Job, you must have done something wrong to be suffering what you're suffering. That is the carnal nature. Our natural nature. That's the way we've been taught. It's so deeply inbred within us that if we suffer opposition, if things are going wrong, if we're being rejected, if we get thrown in jail, we've got to have done something wrong. You know, people, they praise Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress one of the best-selling books next to the Bible, but they forget it was written by a man who was put in jail for preaching the Gospel. The Bible says all those that live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. And the Lord Jesus Christ, He knew this frailty of humanity and He sought time and time again to communicate it to His disciples. Many times he said to him, He said, He that hath an ear, let him hear. But one time he said this, I'll just read through the Gospels one time, and it just stood out there to me. He said, Let this sink down deep
1: into your ears.
0: And when he said that, He said the Son of Man is going to be delivered over, rejected, and crucified. That's the thing that He was trying to communicate unto His disciples. When He took them up there in that upper room, when He had the Lord's Supper there, before He was crucified, His last sermon to them was basically this. You love me, I'll love you. I'll manifest myself to you and through you. And when I do it, the world's going to treat you just like it treated me. You know, the world's assessment of Jesus was that He was a demon-possessed bastard who was not fit to live. That's what they thought about Him. If they didn't accept Him, why do we think, They're going to accept us. But Christ, in knowing this frailty, He said to His disciples, I've told you these things that you would not be offended, that you would not stumble. They're going to cast you out of the synagogue and think they're doing me a service. He was trying to communicate this to his disciples. We see Paul writing his last letter to Timothy there in Nero's dungeon about to be executed. What's he telling that young preacher? He's telling you endure hardness Timothy as a good soldier. Don't be ashamed of the testimony. Hold fast that which has been committed unto you. Fight the good fight of faith. He said, they've all forsaken me, Timothy. But the Lord has stood with me. That's what that man is communicating under that young preacher. You look at John the Baptist. Not one born greater of women than John the Baptist. Used by God to introduce the world to Christ. But after his ministry of six months, he found himself in the same place with that same spirit spirit of oppression breathing down his neck and lying to him. He came under the same thing. Elijah was a man subject to like passions. All of those men that went before us, don't you think they don't feel what we feel? they walked through the same valley. they faced the same temptations. And when John sent to Jesus, he said for his disciples to go ask him, are you he that should come or should we look for another? Jesus said,
1: you go back and tell John. He said, you tell him The lame are walking. The blind are receiving their sight. He said, you go tell him about what I'm doing. And then He gave him a spiritual principle that we need to let sink down deep into our ears. He said, blessed are they that are not offended in Me.
0: He wasn't there for doing wrong. He was there for doing the will of God. I believe when Brother Clendenin said this, I didn't realize how true it was when he said it ten years ago. But tonight, I understand why he made that statement. He said, looking back over 35 years of ministry, I've come to find out that most of what I suffered was because
1: I was right and not because I was wrong. We need to understand that principle of the cross, suffering for being right.
0: But atonement can be made in no
1: other manner.
0: The Bible says in the book of Malachi, as I close here, it says, And now, o ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name. This is what He's saying that we need to give
1: honor unto.
0: Sayeth the Lord, if you will not do this, He says, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. Don't be fooled by this megachurch nonsense. It's not doing one single thing for Jesus except bringing a reproach upon His name. I remember several years ago I was at the LSU Lakes over there cutting grass and I saw this big old bird and he was flying out over the lakes and he went right to the middle of the lake and he was going to land in the middle of this lake and I thought to myself, oh no, don't do that. And that big old bird went and stopped in the middle of the lake and landed. The water was only about a foot deep. You see, it doesn't matter how
1: wide it is.
0: It doesn't matter what it looks like on the surface. All of that stuff, it is about two inches shallow. And it is cursed by God. God doesn't esteem it, and it's not doing anything for anybody. And this is what He's saying here. He's saying, Ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that My covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with Him of life and peace. And I gave it to Him for the fear wherewith He feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in His mouth and iniquity was not found in His lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from
1: iniquity.
0: That's who God committed his covenant of priesthood unto. And if you do the cross-reference here, you'll find yourself in the book of Numbers when the nation of Israel was being infiltrated by pagan nations. You see, the friendship
1: of the world is much more dangerous than her
0: rejection. And God knew this. That's why the Bible says that we are to be separate. That's why the Bible says a little leaven leaven the whole lot. That's why God said to the nation of Israel, have no sympathy upon their altars and on their gods and on their ways because God knew that if the nation of Israel was going to be a blessing to anybody that she had to be pure. She had to be consecrated unto God. It's not our prosperity. It's not us showing the world how cool and hip we are. The Bible says that when God is saying to in us then they'll know that He is God. That is the secret. This is our wisdom before the world that we would honor and keep His commandments. People say it's unloving. We were reading there through the Bible. I believe it was in the book of Ezra. Some men came and they said, we worship your God and we want to come help with you. And basically Ezra said, you're not coming to church here because you don't believe what we We believe you're not after what we're after. And if a man, a pastor, truly loves this world, then he is going to establish the cross within that church. Because that cross speaks of death to everything that is not Christ. That cross testifies that we are here for the glory and the honor
1: of God.
0: That cross speaks about the right Of God. Not the rights of man. And when that cross is established. When that cross is preached. Then no flesh glories in that church. And that church becomes a vessel. Through which Christ can manifest Himself through. And to this world. And then and only then. Can we be a blessing. And that's what happened in that book of Numbers. We have that man bringing that Midianitish woman into the camp. And the Bible says there in that camp, there was a young man. His name was Phinehas. And he arose with the zeal of the Lord. And he took a javelin over to that
1: tent and he ran him through.
0: That doesn't sound too center friendly to me. And when he did that, the Bible says that God was well-pleased because He was jealous for the glory of God. And it's testified of Phinehas that because of that act, that the wrath of God was stayed from the nation
1: of Israel and He made an atonement. You see, the Bible says that Jesus was eaten up with a zeal for His Father's house.
0: When He set His face as flat to go to that cross, He said that the world may know that I love, My Father. He wasn't concerned with the felt needs of His generation. In fact, when they wanted to make Him king because He fed them, the Bible says He withdrew Himself. He wouldn't allow that to be the motivation. But what Christ did was He gave Himself as a savor and an offering unto His Father, refusing to compromise. They didn't think
1: that He was loving. But Christ made an atonement
0: And if you and I are going to be priests under God, if we are going to be successful evangelists and provide a
1: remedy for our generation, then this principle of the cross is going to have to govern our ministry as well. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Amen. Christ and Him crucified. That is
0: the glorious Gospel, the only message
1: to our generation.
0: And he is saved, and He is Lord. I believe it would be pleasing to the Lord tonight if we just consecrated ourselves unto Him and asked Him to give us grace and strength. Not to be offended. Grace that we might be faithful unto this heavenly pattern
1: of ministry. I'm
0: going to open these altars here tonight. If you'd like to come down here, seek God, I welcome you to come. We need God, church, to establish this in our hearts. We need to hear this principle. We need to let it sink down deep into our ear Because we're all going to be tested.